When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and for contempt on all my pride.
Well, take your copy of God's Word, please, and find your spot again in the book of 1 Peter. And we find ourselves today in the fifth chapter. We went ahead and looked at one verse last week, the seventh verse of 1 Peter chapter 5, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And we've also looked at some of the verses at the end of chapter 5. We did that in the very first message, if I remember correctly. And so this is the next to the last message that we'll have in the book of First Peter. So today and then next Sunday we'll wrap up this study, God willing. First Peter chapter 5, and we'll be there in just a moment. You know, being a follower of Jesus Christ makes you something that most people want to avoid at all costs. It makes you different. It makes you different. Have you ever noticed that those who want to be different, maybe they dress in a certain way or they do certain things or whatever, though they would do some things or dress in a way or whatever to be different, they try to surround themselves with other people who are different like them. You ever notice that? I want to be different, but I want to be with other people that are different just like me, and together we're different. You see, beloved, we don't always want to be different at least not all by ourselves, but being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a Christian, makes you different. If we're going to follow the teachings of the Bible, we've got to live counter-culturally. And uh, this is what causes much of our hardship most of the time. Uh, People do not like uh, the fact that we do not just go along with everybody else and do what everybody else is doing and talk like everybody else and go where everybody else is going and Say what everybody else is saying. The world says look out for yourselves, follow your dreams, live out your ambitions. It's okay to be a little religious. It's okay to go to church. Just don't be fanatical about it. Don't let it impact your life very much. But then the Bible comes along and the Bible messes us up, doesn't it? The Bible comes along and tells us that if you're going to truly follow Jesus Christ, we've got to come and die. We've got to die to self, die to our plans, die to our dreams, die to selfish ambition, and come and take up a cross and follow the Lord Jesus as our Lord, our Savior and Master. And instead of living for self and life being about self, we now live for the Savior and we live for others. We don't live for our honor and glory. No, we live for His honor and His glory. In fact, the Bible even says that we are to esteem and honor other people better than ourselves. Did you know that? So where is that verse? Well, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Now that's living counterculturally, don't you think? And our passage here in 1 Peter, it takes that theme and it runs with it. The passage before us this morning is most appropriate as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's table today because Jesus instituted this. Jesus told us to do this. He told us the bread reminds us of His body that was broken. The juice reminds us of the blood that was shed for us. And so we come remembering His death until He comes again. But it's also a time of brothers and sisters gathering together and in unity and harmony and in lowliness, we're gathering together and remembering the One who makes us one the Lord Jesus. So let me give you a preview of what we're going to talk about today before we read the passage. Here in these verses, these opening verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter's going to talk about himself briefly. Then he's going to talk to pastors. Then he's going to talk to young people. And then he's going to talk to everybody. That's what he does here. And throughout the passage, he's going to tell us what God does and what God will do. And he's going to use the term elder. Now, when you and I use the term elder, we're usually thinking about age. 
We're thinking about someone who is older. But when you read the word elder today with me, this is talking about the office of an elder. We don't often use the term elder here. We use the term pastor. In the Bible, the pastor is called by various terms. He's called, of course, a pastor or pastor teacher. He's called a shepherd. He's called an elder. He's called a bishop. And he's called an overseer. Those are the terms in the Bible that all refer to the same office. We believe in two offices. We believe in the office of the elder or the pastor and the office of the deacon. These are biblical uh, uh, offices that the Scripture lays out. And then some might wonder, why is it that you all just have men as pastors? And why do you just have men as deacons? Well, because of what the Bible says. We try to follow the teachings of the Bible. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, it says, If a man desires the position of a bishop, let him be the husband of one wife. If a man is blameless, it says there in Titus, the husband of one wife. So it's kind of hard for a lady to have a, a, that because it says a man. And it says the husband of one wife. And it says the husband of one wife. That's why we have men as deacons as well, because the Scripture talks about their wives likewise. And so we try to follow the Scripture in that. We still believe the Bible teaches that marriage is one man and one woman covenanted together for life. And so that's why we have men pastors. That's why we have men deacons. And so when we read about the elders here, I want you to remember this is talking about the office of an elder. And so you're there... By now I trust in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, as we prepare our hearts today for the Lord's Supper, the elders who are among you I exhort. We can think about it this way. The pastors who are among you I exhort. I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. Father, bless this word to our heart. Have your will and way in every life today. Help me to expound your word for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for the sake of time, this is not going to be an exhaustive message. I'm going to give you some comments, some seed thoughts. I'm going to point out some things to you. And I would encourage you to take and think about these things on your own um, as you can this week. But let me give you several things here when it comes to this passage of Scripture. And first of all, there's a word here about Peter. There's a word about Peter. Uh, and in the very first verse, Peter aligns himself with the elders or the pastors that he's writing to. And he mentions three things about himself in particular in verse number one. You may have noticed it already. He said, first of all, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow pastor. I'm one of you. He does not call himself a pope. He does not call himself a pontiff. He does not call himself the supreme ruler. He says, listen, I am a fellow elder. I'm one of you all. Now, yes, he is an apostle because he says next, 
I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so that kind of confirms and um, builds up his apostleship, the office of an apostle. So he says, I'm one of you and I'm an apostle, but I'm also thoroughly a partaker of the glory that will be revealed of Christ Jesus. We think he's referring there to when he saw the Lord Jesus transfigured and he saw the glory of the Lord. And he, he was a witness of that and he will also partake in the glories that will be revealed. But notice that all the things that Peter says, his boast is in Jesus Christ. He doesn't exalt himself, he exalts Jesus Christ. I'm just a fellow elder. I witness the sufferings of Christ. I witness the glory of Christ. And this passage, beloved, is drenched in humility. It's drenched in lowliness. Please note that. He talks about himself, but very briefly. Very briefly. And the focus is not, look at me, I'm Peter. No, it's look at Jesus. I witness his sufferings. I'm a fellow elder with you all. I'm an apostle. I've seen his um, sufferings. And likewise, I've seen his glory. And so he gives a word about himself, but then he gives a word to pastors. A word to pastors. And so don't, don't snooze on me right now because I think, well, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm just going to kind of pause and kind of check out for a moment. No, listen. These are words that we all should heed. Those who are under a pastor, uh, those who are pastors among us, and for whatever reason, God keeps sending us pastors uh, to, to be a part of our congregation. And likewise, for those who might be called to be a pastor. You know, parents, if you want to check your relationship with the Lord, you want a real quick test on your relationship with the Lord, consider this question if you've got a son. How would you feel if God called your son to be a pastor? Be honest with yourself. Well, let's go a step further. How would you feel if God called your daughter to marry a pastor? Be honest with yourself. How about this? How would you feel if God called your son or daughter to be a missionary on the other side of the world? How would you feel about that? That's a real quick heart check, isn't it? That's a heart check. I pray that God would raise up pastors among us. I pray that God would raise up missionaries and pastors' wives and those who would give their life, their vocation, their selves full time to the ministry of Jesus Christ. But you know, if you ever really wonder, where are you in your relationship with the Lord? How much do you really trust God? How much do you really love God? Just think, wait a minute now. God, I'm, I don't know if I want you to call my son to be a pastor. I re- Listen, I don't really want my daughter to marry a pastor. And I certainly don't want to be a missionary on the other side of the globe. But thank God he does call. My wife was telling me a story about a mother that she was familiar with this family. They were missionaries. And this precious mother prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that her sons would be missionaries. And on two different occasions, two different sons had talked about the story about the mother standing on the shore watching them sail away, if I remember correctly what she told me. And she was there not in sorrow and not mourning, but praising the Lord that God had heard her prayer and called her children to enter into full-time ministry. And she was there praising God. What about you? What about your kids? Notice what God says to the pastors here through His servant Peter. He gives three positives and three negatives. So if you're here and maybe God is dealing with your heart or God might call you to be a pastor, you have a pastor, at least I hope you consider me your pastor, and uh, your 
child or grandchild might be a pastor. Look at what it says about it in verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. Let me give you the three negatives first. Number one, don't serve under compulsion but willingly. In other words, you need to be called to be a pastor. And if you can do anything else, the old counsel is if you do anything else and be happy, go do that. Because if you're going to be a pastor, you'd better be called. Because sometimes the only thing that's going to keep you where you are and keep you going is the call of God upon your life. And you must be called. You don't do it under compulsion. You're not forced into it. You don't, you're not pushed toward it. You're called to it. Secondly, don't serve out of greed for what you'll get. That's what it says. Don't serve out of greed for what you get. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In other words, you're to serve Jesus, not money. And so you don't go into the ministry for what you can get out of it financially. Or what you can get out of it materially. You serve Jesus and trust Him, Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And then number three, don't serve as little lords bossing people around. Don't serve as little lords bossing people around. It says there, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. In other words, servant leadership. Servant leadership is what the Bible teaches. And when we're serving in the body of Christ, we're serving other people. Not, not trying to be served, but serving other people. And servant leadership means you get in there, you work with them, and you're leading people and you're serving people as you serve Jesus. Those are the three negatives, now the positives. First of all, shepherd the flock. Be a shepherd. Care for the flock. Oversee the flock and be an example to the flock. In other words, a shepherd is to lead, feed, protect, and guide the sheep. That's what God has entrusted me here. I'm to protect this body. You say, well, well how does that work? I, I am careful who stands in this pulpit and speaks to you. Because part of my job is to protect this flock from false teachers and from false teaching. I'm to feed you the Word of God. I'm to guide you. I'm to lead you. I'm to help you as God guides me. You see, the shepherd is to guide the sheep, walking out front, not behind them, pushing them, but being an example to the flock. And that's a tremendous, tremendous pressure at times. You can't fulfill that on your own. And young man, if God calls you to be a minister, you have to understand your life is on display at all times. Young lady, if God calls you to marry a pastor, your life is on display at all times. You'll be a missionary, a full-time Christian servant. People are watching no matter where you go, no matter what you do. They're watching you and you're an example. And it's not something you can just clock out of and say, well, I'm off duty right now and I'm just going to live how I want. No, all times people are watching. So I want you to be an example to the flock. And there are things that you will not get to do that other people can do. And there are places you'll not go that other people go. And there's places you'll not be invited to. And you'll not be included because just your very presence in people's lives, they look at you and they realize that you represent God in many regards. You're a messenger of God. It's a very humbling thing. This passage reminds all pastors that the flock is not His. 
You see, it talks about when the chief shepherd appears. I'm just an under-shepherd. Every pastor is just an under-shepherd. We are not here as a dictator. We're here as a servant leader. We're not here to have our way. We're here to do God's work. We serve under our chief shepherd. We answer to our chief shepherd. I'm going to stand before God and give an account of what I did and did not do in this place. I have to give an account for the way that I shepherded this flock. And I will answer to Almighty God. And that's why I say you must be called. You must have God's hand upon you to know that you're exactly where you ought to be doing what God has called you to do. But if He calls you, there's no greater joy. If He calls you, He'll equip you. He'll help you. Well, enough about that. A word to young people. A word to young people. Look at verse 5, the very first part. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Again, we understand this being the office of an elder. A younger person should listen and follow and understand and learn from those whom God has put over them. So they should pay attention to spiritual leadership. But I've got to caution you. Um, this is not a blind allegiance to follow a shepherd anywhere. It's only applicable if the shepherd is a true shepherd, called of God, following God, and is not a hireling, and is not someone who is a false teacher or someone who is abusive. So sad to say, in the body of Christ, there are those whom God obviously has not placed in places, but they placed themselves in places, and they've misled people and abused people and harmed people in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine standing before God and giving an account for that? But when you have someone who really loves God and is called of God and God has ordained them and they're trying to invest in your life, He says, listen, young people, listen to the elders among you. Listen to those whom God has placed above you in spiritual leadership. Listen and learn and follow them. And then if you're feeling left out, you say, well, I'm not a pastor and I'm not a young person. Well, I've got a word for you too. A word to everyone. Look at the rest of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Humility and submission are the key here, beloved. We're not exalting self. We're exalting the Lord Jesus looking out for the welfare of others. I gave you Philippians 2, 3 at the beginning of the message. Remember it? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let me give you the next verse, Philippians 2.4. Philippians 2.4 says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Don't just worry about your own stuff, your own preferences, but other people's. And when the church operates this way, it's a beautiful picture of humility and lowliness and unity. The attitude here is it's not about me. It's about the glory of God and the good of others. And so it's not about my preferences and my like and my seat and my stuff. No, it's about loving others. It's considering other people and their needs. And how can I bless them? And how can I serve them? And how can I most make an impact in their life for the glory of God and lead them to God and help them along in their walk with God? See, it's not a focus upon me and what I want. It's a focus upon the Lord, what He wants, and how I can bless other people. The message paraphrases it this way. I like it. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 paraphrase. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. 
Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Boy, I mean, just, I mean, I just think that last part. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That's a good word, isn't it? That's definitely living counter-cultural. That, that's living the opposite of what the world tells us to do. It's not all about you, no, 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 no. It's about God and others. You'll not find this message out in the world, but you'll find it in the Word. Now, before we move to the Lord's Supper, let me give you another word here. And that's a word about God. And let me just give you these for thought, for, for you to ponder on today, to meditate on. Notice it says to the elders, to the pastors, in verse 4, he will give them a crown of glory. He'll give a crown of glory to the faithful elders. In other words, they will be rewarded. And can I just encourage everybody today, the Bible talks about rewards for faithful believers. There'll be rewards. One day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not about our salvation. That's forever settled at the cross. But the judgment seat of Christ, He looks at our life, He puts it to the testing fires, and if there's anything that remains that's truly done for the glory of God, we are rewarded. And we all should be laboring to hear those words right. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Would you notice likewise in verse 5, it says, He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I, I can't imagine. I don't want God to stand against me. When I'm proud, it says God resists me. God pushes against me. God holds back His grace. When we come in pride and arrogance, He says, I resist the proud, but if you'll come humbly, I'll give you grace. And I don't know about you, but every day that I live, I realize more and more how much of the grace of God I really need. I need His grace every day. Would you notice in verse 6 it says, He exalts those who humble themselves at just the right time. He exalts those who humble themselves at just the right time. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I love that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. I can't help but think about Joseph in the Old Testament. The one who had the dreams, the God-given dream, and everything went against him, but he was faithful to God and faithful to God and faithful to God and faithful to God. And just when it seemed like all was lost, they said, listen, we need you to come interpret some dreams for the king. For the... And he's exalted from the prison to the second highest ranking office in the land. He humbled himself and God exalted him at just the right time. And then verse 7, and we did this last week, uh, He cares for us. He cares for us. And let me just say this as we transition here to the Lord's Supper. How can we boast about anything, beloved? Everything good in our lives comes from His hand. Every good gift and every perfect gift. We have no room for selfish pride. All we deserve is condemnation and hell today. That's all we deserve. That's all we've earned. But He's given us Himself in glory. And when we feel ourselves puffing up with selfish pride and arrogance, we need to go to the cross and look at Golgotha and see the man hanging there, bloodied and beaten and bruised, who did no wrong. No guile was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. But he voluntarily laid himself upon that cross and took that beating and those bruises and those nails and he sits there and he bleeds on that cross 
for you and for me. And he bows his head. It is finished. And he gives up the ghost. And he's buried three days and three nights. And he rises again victorious. And he's the one that gave us eternal life. He's the one that meets our every need. He's the one that brings joy and satisfaction. How can we be proud about anything but Jesus? If we're going to boast, let's boast in the cross. Let's boast in the Savior. Let's thank Him today for allowing us the privilege of serving Him and honoring Him. And the Bible says as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death till He come. So as we come today, we don't come proud of ourselves, no. We come today humbly. We come reverently. We come rejoicingly because He loved us and gave Himself for us. There's no room for our pride because today is all about Him, His sacrifice, His goodness, His love. And so as we come today, come humbly, come lowly, but come with rejoicing in your heart that He loved you and bought you and gave His body and blood for you. And do this in remembrance of Him. Let's bow in prayer. Before I pray and before the deacons come, maybe God has spoken to your heart today. I pray that God would raise up many women to serve Him here today. Maybe that's you. Let me encourage you to obey that call. If you don't know Jesus today, He'd love to welcome you into His family. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Him, He'll receive you. And then for those of us who know Him, the Bible says we should examine ourselves, cleanse ourselves before we come and eat this bread and drink this cup. Is there pride today? Is there arrogance? Is there exalting of self? Is there selfishness? Let's just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to get right, get ready to receive this. And then I'll pray. The deacons will come and we'll eat the bread and drink the cup. Father, thank You for this moment. Thank You for the picture of humility and lowliness. The greatest picture we see in our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Purify us and cleanse us today. Help us to eat this bread and drink this cup with rejoicing and thanksgiving and worship. Lord, we want Your grace so we humble ourselves right now. We're not worthy the least of Your benefit, the least of Your blessings. But You love us so much, You've given us all things in Christ. So bless this time, I pray. May it be a very special time 
of us drawing near to you and you drawing near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.